This is Doug. This is Jacob. And this is Best Worst Podcast number 29. 29. Cheers. And we're drinking the Lafroy QA cask, yep. one of the um, one of the mini sub-12 year uh, Lafroy. <laughs> yes, we've got um, ex-bourbon barrels, American white oak barrels, and a second intense maturation. Um, yeah, lot, lots of flavors thrown in to make up for the fact that it's a young whiskey. Yeah. But, but you it's, know, it's, it's, it's there's got to be something young around here. <laughs> <laughs> it's plenty of the typical Lafroy peat, um, just a little sort of mm. sweeter, I guess, and a little smoother. It's usually quite maritime and in your face and medicinal yeah but yeah. Uh, but it's very very pleasant lovely we haven't even added any water to it to no. mellow it out and uh, quite drinkable um, so it's been about six months what you been up to what have I been up to what haven't I been up to <laughs> <laughs> I've been working I've been uh, putting kids into school right uh, my, my youngest is is uh, turned five in August last year so she started school oh man and yeah, so that's been exciting and also a bit nervous. Uh, she's sort of finding it a little bit challenging, and you know I've been been watching watching films and uh, well the main thing we're going to be talking about tonight is a, a bunch of female directors that we're really excited about with the advent of the uh, fifty two films um, by women um, hashtag yeah yes, hashtag yeah. Um, which was put out it was it was the, I have no idea actually I'm really behind on this um, because I I think I saw it through Women in Film and Television who I oh with the New yeah. Zealand group, yeah. Yeah, um, but it's a, I think it's an American group that's sort of promoting the hashtag, and so um, it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's somewhat telling that, that it, it requires us to have a hashtag to get us to remember, but um, it is actually quite useful to uh, make sure our viewing is getting a little more diverse and, and out there than it might otherwise be if we're not thinking about it as much. Yeah, well, because I know both of us have signed up to it, and I'm quite late to it. I um Thank you for asking. I got married this year. So <laughs> I, uh, nice. I uh, started the year off a little bit busy. And yeah. um, and uh, I've never thought of myself as somebody who goes out of his way to avoid female-directed films or that I no, really no. needed it as a corrective. And, uh, and then I looked at my um, viewing in early February and realized of the 20 or so films I managed to fit in, precisely one of them was directed by a woman. Um, and that was Melanie Laurence Breathe, which is a fantastic film, one of the best films I've seen this year. Um, and so I decided, actually, this is something I've thought of doing before, and um, not explicitly 52, but like trying to focus on female directors. And um, there's lot, lots of holes in my viewing. And, yeah. But then also, I, I think one of the things will be interesting to talk about is that you know there's directors that are kind of the female canon, and then there's other ones that, even in that kind of correct way haven't reached the female canon so I'm trying to yeah. discover as many um, sideways into the history of female directors as I can and um, as well as embracing some of those directors that I've already followed and loved and yeah. enjoyed so, um, yeah. so what it, in yeah. a similar way I'd like I'd, some of my top directors full stop are, are a couple of women in, in that list um, who have films coming out um, this year or at least one of them does but yeah I've just been grabbing a bunch of films that are available to me in my DVD collection through some friends and, and through some of my work stuff um, yeah. that I have sort of seen and thought, oh, that looks interesting, but I haven't grabbed it and it's given me some impetus to grab it. And some of them are like stuff I've never really heard of. Um, sure. And I've already um, offered a couple of recommendations. You've seen a couple of films that this year that I've um, 
been really surprised in a, in a really positive way about um well let's let's start by talking about what we've watched then like so what what have your positive surprises been so far well um a film that's, that's going to be it's upcoming at the french film festival this year um bird people mm. um okay so you've seen bird people yeah. as well and um, what's the name of the pascal ferrand yeah i didn't know that it was by a woman actually i, I i'm not so great on french names and so i didn't know there was a lady until i could looked it up and um it was just so surprising like i, I read the imdb um listing for it and it sounded like like they, they write it in such a way that it sounds like a really typical um rom-com right <laughs> where it almost made it sound like there was a, a married man who turns up at a hotel and thing and then meets a hotel worker lady and, and something occurs and I thought, oh, okay, it's going to be one of these. It so wasn't. And it's, it's surprising and I'm not going to talk about it. Oh, it's, else. it's such a difficult it, film to talk about, isn't it? Because you don't want to give it away. Yeah. And it's such a it's such a left turn of what seems to be like a quite quotidian yeah. film. And then it's like... It's got these big dramatic speechy bits and then these bits that are so patient and observant it's fantastic I really really liked it yeah I, I, I mean that's I, I caught up with that um, I tried to watch it for last year's Scandies I oh, think because yeah. um, it was on American iTunes and it was mm. um, Mike D'Angelo had given it a rave review from Cam and I was really curious and um, it's just such a refreshing I mean it's very much for the viewer who wants to go in and have no idea what they're getting into <laughs> and get something that's really a sideways unique unexpected Expected, um, not pre-digested film at all. Um, and she's... Uh, I haven't seen any of Pascal Ferrand's other films, but um, her last film was an adaptation of Lady Chatterley, so that's a very different uh, type of thing. And her next one, apparently, uh, she's covered in a French-Japanese animation. So, um, yeah, very diverse talent I mean she's 55 so she probably has okay. um, a lot of other things going on and it's just one of those um, situations where we don't know as much perhaps yeah. about that person and and it, you know it's just I think it's something relative to the number of males to the number of females okay. that you know you don't you think of there's a lot of directors who come up with something and you just don't know their past but it feels a bit more shameful somehow on the uh female side of things I suppose I was thinking about the um, story about Colin Trevorrow and how he got to direct yeah. Jurassic Duke World, World. And, and off the back of um, Safety, Safety Get Not Guaranteed yeah, which I really enjoyed yeah which is a good film you know but there um, but I one of the things is that both Steven Spielberg and Brad Bird apparently said oh I can see a bit of me in him ah. and it's a really at one level it's a really innocuous even kind of sweet sort of statement uh, and on another one it um, it encapsulates entirely the perniciousness of the system mm. you know in which you know yeah. he's not going to look you know Brad Bird or Steven Spielberg are not going to look at a 19 year old mm. black woman mm. and, say, and say you know or even a 29 year old black woman you know I mean forget the yeah. age they didn't look at Ava DuVernay that way no. and um uh, who directed Selma last year to great acclaim, um, and she's fantastic with actors. I am. Um, I don't understand what she's doing with line crosses, but um, <laughs> she she 
she jumps all over the place yeah. with that. But maybe that's old fashioned. I mean, it died with Michael Bay. Let's, uh, <laughs> um, one of my discoveries of the year, yeah. uh, and I have I've only watched five films so far, um, was a director who's really obscure. I j- I just went through films that I'd had on hand and been given, oh, yeah. and I just sort of at random picked this film called Silk Road. That's by a Danish director called Jitte Rex. I think J Y T T E R E X. And it's a really peculiar, um, beautiful... It's about this woman who's in hospital and dying and um, flashing back over her life. And the the flashbacks are stunning and gorgeous and often um, densely layered, like often multiple images dissolving over each other, or red uh, water flowing and diaphanous okay. curtains. And, and there's moments of her flights of fancy that almost feel like something out of Paulo Sorrentino movie where you watch <laughs> a guy like swallow a sword except it's not a sword it's a neon tube oh, right. and it's just a, as she's walking along this thing and then it's combined with um She's a art restorer, and so okay. in her hospital scenes, in the hospital scenes where she's actually in bed, are almost photographed, almost like a soap opera or something. They're so yeah. plain. Um, she talks a lot about that, and the and this and that's a different way of negotiating with the past, and mm. it's a it's a stunning, beautiful, and completely just completely overlooked film. Um, you know, some of the um, use of classicist um, frames and images and lighting reminds me of some of the early Lars von Trier stuff when oh, he was before he went all handheld and dogma. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, another Dane, so that might yeah. be the connection there. But it was just fascinating to just dive in and be like, oh, I would have never discovered this person yeah. if I hadn't been like, oh, this will be the one of the five hundred films I have sitting around that I'm going to look at because it's direct by a woman yeah I've also used it as an as you have as well as, a, as an impetus to catch up on some holes in my viewing so one of the ones that I hadn't seen was um, Claire Denis 35 Shots of Rum or 35 oh, Rums oh yes which was fantastic it was so good so what Denis films have you seen um, White Material um, Beau Travail uh, I haven't seen Beau Travail I haven't seen a lot of oh. Denis um, but I've have you seen Vendredi Soir Friday Night no I've got that ready to watch okay. um, that's on my watch list um, but I've seen the the Vincent Gallo oh, Trouble, Trouble Every Day Trouble Every Day yeah, yeah. Um, I got that early on um, but that was really fantastic the other thing that reminds me of is that this uh, hashtag has really revitalised some watching for me and Melissa as well because she's been sort of haven't been a bit tired and just kind of not really in the headspace to watch some films um, but this um, hashtag has made her kind of go actually I'm really keen to watch a bunch of films made by women as well so, right. so we've been sitting down uh, as a couple and, and watching stuff together and it's been quite cool um, We that's funny because my wife and I watched a um, we could, I could talk about Claire Denis a lot more but I'll just mention in passing we yeah. watched a film directed by a woman last Friday night that was probably the polar opposites of 35 Shots of Love <laughs> which was uh, Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days oh yeah um, yeah and, um, I haven't seen that for ages yeah it's it's a stunner I skipped it in the theatre and, and actually Catherine Bigelow is somebody I mean I saw it's Ray Fiennes isn't it? yeah. uh, Ray Fiennes uh, Juliette Lewis yeah um, 
Oh, I'm blanking now. There's a huge uh, supporting cast of very familiar faces. Michael Wincott is in a small role. Um, quite a few key um, famous people in what's kind of a film noir meets um, neo-future so, meets yeah, impending yeah. apocalypse um, meets race relations commentary. Um, it's uh, And meets just Catherine Bigelow's Jones for Action. I mean, the opening Um, intended to be a single shot. I think I saw where the cut would be in it, but it's still just like a six-minute single action scene that starts in a cab, goes into a restaurant, goes up a couple flights of stairs and out a window. And um, it just... It reinforces how before her time, you know, with things and yeah. like that and like Point Break, like, yeah. that she really was. You know, if she was around today doing those kind of films, um, that you know, kind of B-level actioners yeah. and, you know, kind of the John Wick type of films yeah. as opposed to like the prestige Zero Dark Thirty type of films. films. Yeah. Um, it would, you know, she'd be really, I think, hailed as like a, um, you know, the queen of Fantastic Fest or something. Yeah. yeah. And instead, she has to content herself with Academy Awards. What a yeah. point. <laughs> uh, her, her command of um, genre um, direction is fantastic. Yeah. Um, just to go back to Claire Denis quickly, because I actually yeah. watched um, Vera Matid, which is, uh, or Towards Matid, which is a, it's a, it's a relatively obscure entry in her thing. It's a doco about a dance teacher, but it's, okay. um, it kind of explores a lot of her obsession with movement and bodies and oh, yeah. um, I, my two favorite films by her that you've um, yet to see I'd say my three are probably include 35 Shots of Rum mm-hmm. but then the other two would be Beau Travail and um, uh, Friday Night Vendredi Soir and um, both those in very different ways have a real obsession with bodies Beau Travail um, is the retelling of Billy Budd uh, which is the Melville play yeah. at a North African uh Army colonial base. Claire oh, yeah. Denis grew up there, and so um, oh, several of her films, of White Material, films yeah, and her first yeah. film Chocolat, which I've yeah. yet to see, yeah. and uh, Beau Trail are all. Oh, yeah, so that's the French and the French Foreign Legion. So there's a natural connection. Mm. Um, but um, you know, Denis Levant is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when um, David Bowie died, uh, I said, you know, he's responsible in part for my favorite live action scene, which is the scene in. Uh, Leo's character's mauvais song oh, uh, right oh. after he kisses Juliette Pinoche for yeah. the first time and, and he runs down the street to Modern, Modern Love, Love yeah. which you know then um, uh, then what's his not ruined off for Fran- yeah. Yeah, Francis Ha yeah. and everybody said that was original and brilliant yeah. but um, it was original in that and um, yeah. and but what what Denny Levant does with his body in this film uh, in terms of precise communication and what he does with the very last scene, which I won't spoil for you, mm. but um, if I were to describe to you, you would not even imagine how that would elicit an emotional reaction, and yet um, every single time I've seen that film, I break into sobs at that scene. At the end, it's just um, this stunning moment of emotional release um, in, without a single word and without a single other character that he's uh, interacting with in any meaningful way. Um, Friday Night's a very different film because yeah. it's it's basically um, the greatest one-night stand movie ever, I think Craig Lindsay put it as, um, about <laughs> 
about um, a woman who's packing up her stuff and trying to leave. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Paris or just another part of France, but yeah. all, all the roads are closed. And so, um, and it, it's it's sort of there's little bits of animation and it's a little not quite naturalist but then there's moments that are a bit more and she eventually winds up meeting with a guy and hooking up with a guy and um, is it Juliette Binoche? no I and I couldn't tell you who the actress is for the life of me but um, just the way she negotiates uh, the scene of intimacy where they do meet and the way those bodies are photographed um, her regular DP is a woman named Agnes Goddard oh, yeah. and um, and actually I don't I'm not a big fan of white material and I have this theory that the reason I'm not is because Agnes Goddard didn't shoot it oh, okay. and so the feel for me of what I love about Claire Denis movies about the texture of them was um, ruined by that in part um, now Goddard's come back to shoot with her since then and is shooting her new movie which I'm super excited about because that's um, the one that Zadie Smith is writing and oh, yeah. um, the artist Olafur Eliasson is doing um, a lot of the work for and it's a sci-fi film and Robert Pattinson's oh, wow. acting in it so it's that sounds kind of, mad yeah yeah but then again The Intruder sounded mad yeah, which yeah. is also a fantastic film it's, it's probably mm-hmm. actually right up there for me with those other ones although it was legendarily boot at Cannes and it's oh, yeah. um, probably a lot less easily digestible than some of those others but um, I can hear what you're saying about the, the different the visual difference um, with my white material even from the few others that I've seen yeah. it's um, there is a kind of what they partially to do with the film partially to do with the cinematographer um, yeah. they play a lot with, with kind of harsh light I think and yeah um, true it's very they're, bright they're, yeah. and it's very kind of well, Beautreville has a lot of harsh light as well because it's set in the North African yeah. desert. I think it for me it's more to do with um, camera motion oh, and yeah. yep. emphasis and of framing. details. I, I feel like there's a lot of wider shots and yeah. white material, and and where Friday night. Um, in particular maybe interrogates a bit more yeah. um, Beautreville there's a lot of wide shots but there, a lot of them are about the organization of this um, you know French Foreign Legion yeah. who are doing these exercises together and yeah. so it's almost like a musical at points mm-hmm. except that they're just doing their you know, yeah, doing the drills. Or yeah. drills yeah um, but yeah and it, it is I mean one of the things I wondered about this 52 films by women thing is that it does kind of buy into that the director is the creator thing. I mean, you look yeah. at a film like... Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing when I was looking at some films that I knew were written by women, and I was like, oh, actually, that's directed by a guy. Yeah. But I kind of am really... Like, it's not going to stop me from watching it, but... Yeah, well, I was yeah. sad I couldn't add it to the list. Yeah, but yeah, a film like Carol, which is, you know, adapted yeah. from a woman, a, no, a woman novelist, uh, adapted by a female a screenwriter, screenwriter, and then um, directed, had, uh, directed yeah. by Todd Haynes, and, but yeah. with two very strong female leads. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a strong sense of womanhood in that yeah. project um, whereas I, I actually haven't got through it um, because I ran out to go to the beach because of the tides <laughs> but um, I started watching Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker which is one of those things that turns up on all of those lists oh, and, yeah, yeah. I mean I'm not all the way through it but so far there hasn't been a single woman that's appeared on screen mm-hmm. it's a um, and you know if you had said it was by you know Joe Bloggs you know you wouldn't have felt like oh no really that's a female film you know it's just yeah. like it just feels like you know you've discovered a random 50s pulp film yeah um, and maybe that says something about 
what was allowed at the time, but not entirely because you know there were women's pictures yeah. at the time. You yeah. know, it's not like well, I it, mean, you know, also I, I wouldn't want the fifty-two women's uh, film by women tag to kind of denote what they're going to be about. You know, it's like men tell stories about women. There's no reason why women can't tell stories about men. Oh, but sure. Yeah, yeah. Perspective on that. Um, One Strange yeah. Days, which is tellingly yeah. is written by um, James fact, Cameron and Jay Cox. Yeah, but um, Bigelow was very big on, like, a lot of her stuff. Um, I mean, Zero Dark Thirty is about um, Jessica Chastain's character, but um, Hurt Locker, Jeremy Renner, yeah. she's telling um, kind of male stories, uh, but she does it so well. And Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you have to ask as well, and though, break as well. how much of that is the exigencies of funding and how yeah. much of that is that that's what that person wants to tell. And, I, I, and I'm not saying that isn't the story Catherine Bigelow wants to tell, because I just have no idea. No. But, um, you know, it's... I mean, and also a film like Hurt Locker becomes a very different film if it was about a female soldier, you know? And that's, yeah. and that's the thing is that there's certain, at least in some areas of film, there's still very much, if you make the female the lead, it's about... Well, we saw the preview last night for Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, yeah. which is um, directed by two guys, but is very much about... Tina Fey is the woman who's going to Afghanistan and all the things about her and it's very much about her being a woman and on one hand that's really great from a character perspective to not make her an interchangeable widget and address that but on the other hand it does yeah there is something a bit Mm. funny about it so what else have you been watching uh what is um I've been watching um catching up on a on a few old things that I'd seen or Melissa hadn't uh, was things that, that we had available so we, we re-watched um, a couple of things um, which I'm allowing on my list um, we re-watched um, Clueless alright which, uh, which did stood up pretty well does actually. it hold up yeah Amy, yeah Amy Heckerling's an interesting person yeah. and, uh, you know I've heard interviews with her and and um, pe- the, she definitely has some people who stick up for even her later work like vamps and things like that uh-huh. that have uh, been kind of um, not finding the same place on the commercial ladder that Fast Times yeah. in Ridgemont High and Clueless did but um and uh what anything else that's uh I, know, I re- saw you mentioned Mansfield Park yeah yep the um, other day which um, yeah Mansfield Park I loved in the theater back in 1990 no, or, or, oh, or, no, or, no, no, no and um, yeah I think it's 99 was the release date yeah I mean I this is sort of damning with faint praise because I'm not a big fan, but my, it's probably my favorite Jane Austen adaptation. Yeah. Well, but see, we Melissa and I do a thing. Not we don't do it all the time now, but we used to, and we still do it semi regularly. Um, what we call Saturday Night Austen because we're both big. Well, we're both big period film fans, and we're both big classical English literature fans. Um, and so we both really like Austen, so we've been slowly collecting our pick of the adaptations, um, mostly newer ones. But right. um, uh, And Patricia Rosemary is our favourite, Mansfield. Um, so Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, where does that fit on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't quite so. got to that one. I, I think I saw the trailer. And so so that's, that's your favourite, man, because that's sort of the only Mansfield I've seen. So um, I've seen a couple of others. This is really... Really, really terrible one with Billy Piper, um, <laughs> which was, which was, yeah, it was awful. Is that um, how you got into Jennifer Ellie? Because I remember we've had conversations. Uh, Julie? Oh, yeah. Jennifer Eel. Yes, yeah. yes, Jennifer Eel and Pride and Prejudice. In fact, that, if you're listening, ha- Jennifer, one of those pronunciations of your name is probably right. Eel, I think. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm sorry if it's wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 
I saw that was how I got into Austin. Actually, I was um, okay. I I, went, I never read any Austin at high school. It was not something on our English list for our class or whatever. Um, so I um, was staying with an ex-girlfriend's grandmother in Brisbane one time. Um, was she an ex-girlfriend then? <laughs> uh, no, she was a current okay. girlfriend at the time. Yeah, that would have been weird. That would have um, been weird. Um, and I think I was in my... I might have been 20, might have been 19. And I, we were staying there and her, the BBC Pride and Prejudice miniseries was on television at the time. Right. Um, and I had no idea what it was and I thought... I, I, from the title I couldn't tell what the hell this was about um, and I ended up watching it and grandmother was talking to me and saying well that's Mr Wickham he's such a cad and she was this kind of proper lady it was quite funny and I was like oh and I started watching and I thought I got really drawn in I thought this is fantastic right um, and then when I came back to Auckland um, a friend of Melissa's uh, flatmate I think had the series on DVD or VHS something up early on um, and so I ended up borrowing it off her and watching the entire thing and I thought oh my god this is so good um, and so I thought, well, I better read this. And so I went and read it. But then I, I basically, I had some time just after I finished my degree where I was just doing bits and pieces of jobs to pay the rent. And then I was doing reading and study that I wanted outside of a degree. Right. Um, and so I read everything Jane Austen wrote, like including the wow. Juvenilia, the unfinished stories, everything that was published that the university held. Um, Have you been like that about any other author? Um, a few I did Douglas Copeland okay. who I really don't really really get into um, uh, I haven't quite done the same to many other authors although I've sort of not completist like I did that with Vonnegut although there's been oh, a couple yeah. late kind of breaking kind yeah. of collections that I haven't caught up with and stuff yeah. but back in like as of whatever yeah. he had out in 1995 oh, or something yeah. like that and a couple books I picked up after Ooh caught up anyway anyway so that's how we got into Jane Austen collecting and watching and so I mean it was as much me as it was Melissa in fact I started buying DVDs um, before we were together and then I had this sort of semi-formed collection of Jane Austen movies or made for TV movies um, and uh, yeah Patricia Rosmer's Mansfield Park is our favourite so we rewatched that and it's it's a really nice um, really nice film it um, stars um, Frances O'Connor who's Australian I think Actually, she was famous yeah. for Man from Snowy River I think she was she was in that Define famous I haven't well, heard of Man from Snowy oh, okay. River it's, it's a classic Australian film I think Brian, oh, okay. Brian Brown's in it as well um, it's one of those if, you, if you're in New Zealand yeah. you probably know a few Australian films um, and that's one that of haven't made it yeah. across the yeah. Uh, pond yeah um, um, and um, <clears throat> so she's in it and then you've got Johnny Lee Miller who people might know from uh, Elementary um, he plays Sherlock in, in the the American series Elementary um, and he's a British actor he's pretty good is he in Trainspotting or am I mixing yes he is yeah okay yeah. That, that's what I know him from yeah uh, possibly Sick Boy I think in Trainspotting mm. um, and then uh, uh one of the amazing, most amazing things in it is that the guy who plays the dad in it is Harold Pinter. Who, really? Sir Thomas. Playwright? Yeah, the Harold Pinter, the playwright, plays Sir Thomas um, in, in Mansfield Park. It's, it's incredible. This guy who's like just uh, really 
famous playwright and um, literary figure who's acting in this film. He's, he's really good. Right. Um, but Patricia Rosima does a really interesting job of combining the story, making a strong character out of um, Fanny um, Price, who has often criticised as being one of the, kind of a bit of a wet rag. Right. Um, figure, um, but makes her a much stronger figure. Someone who's um, well read and is, is basically trying to get herself um, schooled up on modern, like on slavery, anti-slavery issues and things like that. Yeah. And uh, and then she also draws in a lot of um, the juvenilia, the writing she acts as a fanny as as writing these stories that Jane Austen actually wrote. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. And so a lot of there's a lot of stuff um, written in that as part of Jane Austen's earlier works that that she plays as stuff that she's been writing. Yeah. And stylistically, there was something that struck me about it at the time, and I can't remember if it was like a use of jump cuts or like um, a, a handheld or what. What like is there anything that stylistically jumped out at you? It's just driving me nuts. Why it was such a striking film to me at the time? It's Maybe not, I just had a crush not, on Frances O'Connor. Possibly, it's not. Okay. It's not handheld. Um, there are some jump cuts, but I don't think it's um, sort of overridden by them. Yeah, but it's still for 1999 yeah. Jane Austen adaptation. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's, I, it's, I, it's very cinematic. Like yeah. a lot of the Jane Austen adaptations are very kind of. I mean, aside from Ang Lee's sense of sensibility, which is yeah. fantastic um, and beautifully shot. Um, a lot of them are they are made for TV period films, and they they're well acted and they're they're good productions, but they're not particularly cinematic. But this one is okay. Yeah, it's, it's really nicely shot and um, and edited, um, and it's got other characters like um the idiot um husband to one of the sisters is played by Hugh Bonneville, who people know from um, Downton Abbey um, as the head of the family in that. Um, and he, so he's you watch a, way more TV than I do, man. Well, I haven't seen Downton, but Melissa was getting into it recently, oh, okay. and, and I kept hearing about it. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, hey, it's the dude from like we keep recognizing. And all the Jane, I thought Dan Stevens was the dude from Downtown Abbey. Mm, I mean, he he's might the be a dude, dude. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> but the head of family, you want have you seen the guest? Um, yes, yeah, that's the the, the guest is yeah, yeah. um Dan Stevens, yeah, who yeah, is apparently a very subservient, meek fellow in oh, Downton yeah. Abbey. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, if you've seen the guest, yeah, but the guest is not directed by a woman, so yeah. away with you, yeah. <laughs> although it's a fantastic film, you should see it. Um, um, what else have you been um, saying? What's in your five that you've seen? Oh, god, you know, to be honest, it was, um, I think I've mentioned most of them, it was breathe. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Peggy Guggenheim Art Addict, which um, was fine. Um, it's decently put together. Fascinating topic. Um, and I think it's just released theatrically here. Uh, and so it's really well worth um, checking out if you're interested in the art of the mid-20th century, oh, modern yeah. art. Um, she's a very liberated woman. Yeah. Um, so it's a very... Um, I mean, there's nothing special about it as a film, I would say, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not worth um, checking out because the story it tells is pretty compelling, and Peggy Guggenheim is a fascinating yeah. character. But yeah, and then the Claire Denis film and the Catherine Bigelow film and the Jutorex film, and that's that's five, which is a bit shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, I, I've, I've been working hard for the last two weeks. So if you would had this discussion two weeks yeah. ago, one, <laughs> so. I caught up with a couple of New Zealand films. Actually. Well, one's a short film. And okay. one's a pre- um, one, I, I, I didn't think I'd seen it, but actually I think it turned out that Melissa and I saw it in cinema. Um, cause I started remembering because it was, um, Home by Christmas, which is Gailene Preston. She's a, sort of yeah, that's a world war two. Yeah. About well, her father. Yeah, right? I haven't it seen it. But actually I'd... having seen it again, it was 
highly reminiscent, um, although hers was made first, of um, of. <laughs> Gosh, um, stories we tell. Oh, Sarah okay. Polly, um, who does that thing about telling, uh, her f- like exposing some family history and family secrets um, right. through a cinema, and using her father to narrate um, kind of his his diary stories. What Gaylene Preston does is she tells a story. Um, she she's right at the start. They the narration sort of says there are three times in our family. There's before the war, after the war, and then there's this time that's never spoken of during the war. Um, so mm. it's a story of her um, her father in World War Two, um, and what happened that he he was married, and then basically a whole bunch of the farm bo- New Zealand farm boys went and signed up for the war, and then he took off and he basically was away for a couple of years. He said I'll be back by Christmas, and then he wasn't. He became prisoner of war, um, and then. And for whatever reason, seemed not to be coming back particularly quickly. Um, yeah, and so it's a really interesting film about her family. But then the other layer to it is that the person who pays, plays her mother is her daughter, Chelsea Crawford Preston. Right. Okay. Um, Preston Crawford or Crawford Preston? I can't remember. So do they kind of dis- have those discussions of that within the text yeah, of the film? Yeah. And then a lot of the story is taken, and they've got a person is act as if she's interviewing her father, except right. that her father is not there anymore, and so they've got a person reading her. Fa- she had interviewed her father audio and recorded it and so someone else is acting as her father reading his audio responses to her interview with him right yeah. wow that sounds really dense and yeah it's a really fascinating way to make a film and that's why it sort of reminded me of stories we tell um, okay because that, that had been on my list because as you know like the novel that I'm writing yeah. is World War II era oh, yeah and um, so I thought that would be a useful thing to look at yeah. for um, that time period which is really yeah. interesting to me in New Zealand of how many you know men left the country and yeah. then um, the women were and left behind to yeah. run things and yeah. that, that created a surge forward in yeah. sort of the women's role in society but then also you had these Americans coming over yeah. and you had um, you know wartime very, 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 and yeah wartime exactly and mm. so um, so I was very interested from that perspective um, and also just you know Galen Preston being a pr- relatively major figure that yeah. I haven't really seen I saw Perfect Strangers oh, yeah. which I, I wasn't that impressed by in 2004 yeah. but um, uh, when Quentin was here a couple weeks back he, he mentioned Mr. Wrong as one of the great yeah. New Zealand films which is mm. a film that I haven't seen so um, I definitely think there's a, a lot of work I need to do in her discography oh, yeah. her filmography um, speaking of um, New Zealand directors one that uh, I mean I, and I guess I'm sort of bridging here now to films that I've seen that I'd recommend yeah. um, because I do feel like you often get the same sort of names it's like oh go see the Chantal Ackerman films go yeah, see the yeah. Agnes Varda films and you're actually guilty I haven't seen a Chantal Ackerman film but um, you know see Catherine Bigelow films see a Claire Denis film yeah. um, one film that I saw in 2014 that uh, has really blew me away and really stuck with me is Marata Mita's sorry Marata Mita's Patu yeah. and she was in the news recently because even though she's passed away because uh, there's a, a fellowship at Sundance yeah, now named for up. indigenous filmmakers named Definitely. in her honor yeah. um, and Patu 
Patu is a document Patu, yeah. of the um, the Springbok tour, which uh, every, yeah. New Zealanders will be like, I know all about yeah. this, and non-New Zealanders, uh, briefly for you, um, the Springboks were the South African rugby team. They came here in 1981. I think we were the only, yeah, it was 81, and I think we were one of the only countries who let them in. Um, the government right. let them because because there was all the um, embargoes against South Africa because of apartheid, right. um, and rugby had been one of those things that they cut off. Um, but rugby is so big in New Zealand, and the government at the time was I think it was Muldoon's government um, was um, very kind of keen to keep it going. Um, so they agreed to have them host them for the tour against kind of a lot of international um, pressure. Yeah. And it caused... Well, it's really weird. You watch that and you realise, like now, it's, it's a no-brainer um, that um, everyone thinks, yeah, we were against apartheid and we were kind of against that mm-hmm. tour. But when you watch it, the amount of people who are protesting versus the amount of people who are just wanting to watch the rugby... Yeah. It was. It really was a brave action by a, a, a relatively few, a relative few, yeah. um, that caused quite a major change in New Zealand. Yeah. yeah, and it's extraordinary when you see the footage of um, fighting in the streets and you see the yeah. interrogation. I think. I think regardless of your politics, it's fascinating because. Um, you know, in, in terms of organizing the left and organizing yeah. resistance and, and the people that start coming along who are like, oh, we get to have a fight? I'm keen for yeah, this, yeah. you know? Um, and and, and it, even though it's a document of and from the left, it doesn't shy away no. from those elements to it. And certainly well, now... Yeah, and yeah you, it certainly yeah. doesn't, it doesn't... She doesn't sidestep the difficult parts of the process, like you say, the people who are inciting violence because that's what they're into. But also yeah. one of the things that really struck me when I was watching it is... Um, they did a lot of the meetings in Marae and around with um, there were a lot of Maori people who were um, yeah. supporting um, the African um, the black African people um, to abolish apartheid um, and they hosted some some African people there but in the meetings that they were having there were Maori people that stood up and said this is really great and we support this this movement to, to, to protest against apartheid and protest against this tour but at the same time this is happening in our country and has been for a long time. Yeah. Um, where are the people standing up for the rights of Māori and Indigenous people in New Zealand? Um, and that was a really difficult kind of... seeing this kind of struggle within the movement itself yeah. around various issues. And that, I thought that was really nicely captured and not sidestepped. And, I mean, obviously, Marathi Mitu is Māori Morton. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree that it's... Um, and it's actually you can view it on New Zealand on screen for free. Yeah. So it's um it's well worth catching. Yeah, no matter where you are, I'm pretty sure you can watch it. For free. Uh, I think New Zealand. Or is on it screen? geoblocked? Yeah, it's New Zealand. Oh, that's there. a Thanks bummer. Yeah, that's a bummer. Too bad. But um, hopefully it's otherwise findable somehow. Yeah. Um, so what what are some names on your list that uh? Okay, so um, um probably right at the top of my list, who was one of my favourite working living directors um, is uh, Kelly Rockett who anybody who's listening to this has probably heard of and has heard me blabber on about um, she's got a film coming out this year Certain Woman which I'm really looking forward to um, previously known as yeah. Untitled Kelly Rockett Project <laughs> <laughs> well the reason I'm excited about it is it's adapted from um, a favourite book of mine which oh, really? is um, a collection of male Malloy short stories and um, 
uh, called Both Ways is the only way I want it. Um, she's actually most famous in certain circles as being the sister, I think, of the um, lead guy in the band The Decemberists. Oh, right. But, okay. Um, Colin <laughs> yeah, Malloy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but she's a writer in her own right of great skill. and um, Yeah, and uh, she's, she's made some... Uh, interesting changes to some of the stories including one the one that features Kristen Stewart there's a um, oh, yeah. uh, at who yeah it's one of the main, the the other main characters changed from male to female which is a pretty interesting choice on her part um, so I'll be interested to see how it all yeah. comes together um, but you know certainly I mean on the basis of Night Moves and Wendy and Lucy I'm yeah. very much looking forward to what she's got yeah. to do next uh, I'm, and Meek's cut off I'm of pretty course. much excited yeah. about anything she's made really um, and Melissa and I are both really looking forward to um, Certain Women um, but we'll probably do a watch through of all her films um, except for I still have yet to track down River of Grass have you tracked down Ode? It's her first film. It's like oh. a forty-five minute. Um, no, I, okay. I haven't seen it. There's either, two films so. that I need to take down. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a River of Grass restoration going on. Ah, so. yes, I, I had um, I had seen that. Yeah, um, I've watched a few interviews with her because she um she is um lectures in film in New York. Yeah. I think. Um, that was one of the great things about the Wendy and Lucy DVD, and yeah. it's like, um, she included um discs uh, uh, films by some of her professors including Peter Hudden oh, who's yeah. one of my favorite avant-garde uh-huh. I don't think even he would call himself avant-garde he might yeah. say experimental but yeah. he's just an observational silent filmmaker that um, doesn't actually edit he puts oh. um, bits of black between each shot that oh, he does okay. so each shot yeah. is its own item of grammar within the film as it were and hmm. um, yeah um, very beautiful films um, wow um, very methodical films, yeah. but um, but yeah, and and so I think that kind of sense of observation informs Reichardt's yeah work as well. And I thought that was quite generous of her to be like, "Hey, this is my disc, and I'm going to use it to showcase yeah. some other people I find fascinating." Oh well, she she's very much that way. Gear, she's interested yeah. in in. in unique storytelling and you know not so much the promotional side of things but she um for herself uh she that was another person that I was interested in who um it wasn't the first a first film of her I saw was with, um Wendy and Lucy which was just fantastic and that led me into Meeks which is yeah. I think my favourite of hers to date well yeah between those two but I think yeah. Wendy and um, Meeks cut off just but and that led me into buying a DVD of Old Joy but that's another interesting example of a woman who's telling a story about two guys yeah so, true yeah um but does it so well um, and a really interesting kind of exploration of um, ex- almost like expired friendship um, yeah yeah it, I mean I, I'm not a big fan of Old Joy I found it quite tiring in the mm. watching but there was something um, very about about the concept of what was there mm. and that when it was over you felt that kind of um Dissipation and and, yeah. and also seeing Will Oldham of yeah. Palace Music in the lead role and uh, mm. uh, and he's such a character and for me going back to Portland is always yeah. a treat. Um, so um, who's um, who's on your your list of uh, directors that that uh, female directors that uh, do it for you? Um, 
the one that I I think is I you know because I I was looking through a lot of other people's lists yeah. to see who comes up and and see if there are any names I was missing and yeah. and one that I think is really sorely overlooked um, is a woman named Ursula Meyer. Oh uh, yeah, um, sister. Uh, sister is her most recent film. Oh right, so that's uh, one that I've been keen. It's keen to see. It's about like is that about a couple of kids in a ski? Yeah, yeah. It has it has some sort of um, play festival. I missed it. Most. Um, who are the brothers? Dardenne has some oh. it has some Dardenne's kind of resonance to it, but it also has its own. Um, I was going to say if I just stopped there, or <laughs> what are you qualities it? <laughs> and um, well, the interesting thing is I've seen two of her films, and my favorite is actually the film prior to that, which is called Home, which okay. is an incredibly different register. It's it's this um, surreal um, film about this family that lives next yeah. to an abandoned freeway. Okay. Uh, and they've got this house there and they have to cross over the freeway to get home and oh. um, but it's abandoned so it's yeah. fine but then one day um, the trucks show up and it turns out that they're opening the fr- freeway again oh, right. and um, and I think it was Mike D'Angelo again who described it as like the film gradually turns into an existential game of Frogger or something yeah, yeah, almost yeah. as they're trying to <laughs> get home and you know and yeah. suddenly their home isn't you know and they're just used to Struggling. I mean, I think the first scene of the film is them playing hockey on the uh, tarmac or yeah. whatever. Um, Where's yeah. she from? Uh, she... I think she's Swiss. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, and that film features Isabel Huppert. And oh, yeah, yeah. I want to see Olivier, Olivier Gourmet. I could be wrong about that, but pretty sure he's the dad. Mm. Um, and He's fantastic. Yeah, and, and it, it's and kind of... a connection to the dad in there. Yeah, and Home I would file alongside Dogtooth, and there's an American Blu-ray oh, of it wow. that I have. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think of them as similar sorts of off-kilter. Mm. Um, I mean, di- different um, I philosophical... Down, yeah. uh... Well, I've got the Blu-ray, so maybe we can oh, yeah. have a screening over here at some point, because um, I'd love to see it again. Uh, but then she went and did Sister, and Sister's more in the social realist of like yeah. these, um, uh, this sister and little little brother, who um, uh, as are in, they're introduced as that anyway, um, who live near a ski town, and so yeah. they um, live kind of a grifting life and yeah. steal skis and do other various scams to keep going, and um, and yeah, that's and that's. I think that's a much more conventionally approachable film yeah. as far as a story that yeah. um, touches the heart and moves the audience. And, um, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I, I say that with such disdain. It's yeah. horrible. Um, <laughs> you cold, uh, but, cold uh, no, man. <laughs> look, I mean, you know, I gave it four stars. I thought it was a really good film. I just didn't... Um, I just, um, I think I was a bit disappointed in that, you know, like as, when you compare to some, the Yorgos Lanthimos who did Dog Team, yeah. um, it's this voice that um, whether or not you like his films, nobody else is making yeah, films like yeah. Alps and The yeah. Lobster, whereas um, other people are making films like Sister. Mm. But at the same time, if you interrogate Sister, there's a lot of delicate observation that's mm. very difficult to pull off that she does very well. And she's a very multifaceted, multi-talented director. 
director and I'm desperate to know what she's do, doing yeah. next I still haven't seen her first feature which I think is called Strong Sol- oh. Strong Shoulders so I haven't then, seen anything by her but I, her name keeps coming up yeah so who else do you have uh, um, okay so um, next I'll go uh, a, a documentary maker who I've long been following and, and, and to uh, Andy Timona ah yeah um, who's I done, talked to her on Twitter the other week yep yep she's, <laughs> she's very approachable um, and very engaged she just hit me up out of nowhere because oh, wow. uh, um, I I was um, working on a music documentary and I was asking oh. um, uh, people about what um, uh, music documentaries I should watch and multiple people Did dig. mentioned Dig including yeah. um, Darren Navarra the editor yeah. and I and one of the things that um, is really striking about Andy Timona's work to me and I've only seen Dig in um, We Live in, in Public, public yeah. but just um, the acute um, observational power that she has yeah. in her work. Yeah, she, um, re- she, it's like a, she's one of those documentary makers who's, who's not, it's not like she's not there, but she, she really does um, draw out, like people feel free around her. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think she embeds in for a long time. Her filming process seems to be quite um, committed and, and lengthy um, to the point people just get comfortable with her and I think she develops good right. trust with people um, now have you seen this Russell Brand film that she did uh, yeah I, I, um, I pre-ordered um, on the funding thing she did uh, oh did she do a kickstarter for it or something uh, it wasn't kickstarter it was more uh, um, prepay for it to right. help sort of with the finishing I think um, which was really interesting because I didn't know a lot about Russell Brand I mean I'd seen some of his comedy which I didn't mind um, and I'd seen him talking about some things but I didn't really know much about him um, and it was really interesting to see him as a person sort of struggling with his you know his addiction issues and uh, sort of right. more in the past but also with his sense of ego and knowing that he was someone that really rec- that had quite a, a large sort of that he was quite um, quite self-involved in many ways, but then has trying to oh, you think? trying to change that. Yeah. Like, but oh, okay. the, to the point where um, like he was talking about starting up a. Uh, a, a cafe in a part of town where he was going to buy a, a, a thing in a part of town where he, near where he grew up, um, which was a poorer part of, um, of the UK, um, uh, near Essex, I think. Um, and then to staff this cafe almost exclusively with um, recovering addicts, and you think, oh, yeah. And then he was only just kind of getting to the start of this sort of idea at the end of the documentary. I subsequently Googled it's been open for about a year. It is, aside from the person who manages it, who's someone that has great experience with the cafes and running businesses, um, who wasn't an addict, all of the staff are recovering addicts. Right. Um, and it seems to be working really well. And he drops in there quite regularly. Um, uh, he basically, he, he may come across as a bit of a trait, but it's actually his, his, his money and his time and his, his commitment is where his mouth is. I just want to forgive him for what he did to Katy Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. know, uh, um, But back to Andy Tamano. So what what else stands out to you with her work? Because you've you've seen her speak, I understand. Uh, Yeah, she she came to um, festival with We Live in in Public um, and did a QA, and a which... um, I asked a couple of questions at, and then I yeah. end up talking with her afterwards for a while. And um, she's just a really engaging and engaged mm-hmm. person. At that point, she was really because uh, we live in public was about a guy Josh 
I can't remember his last name, um, who was kind of a guy that was ahead of the curve in many kind of technological revolutions. He started up some of the really early kind of video and uh, reality television kind of stuff or reality online stuff um, well before the internet connection was available to support that kind of stuff and they had it set up in his, in his own house with him and his girlfriend and they ended up sort of breaking up because of this kind of the weird pressure of this thing and they had people uh, on message boards kind of commenting on what they should do in situations when things got tense and really, yeah. really bizarre and I mean he, he was a bit of a egomaniac as well but he also did all these kind of really interesting projects and so well and it's interesting because that's actually like you talk about this that and I mean the n- a number of people that I see that live their domestics in public yeah you know? and, well, and now because it, she, she yeah. basically said when she f- it was like 10 years before it came out that she started um, filming this guy because he'd asked her to film Josh him. Harris yeah, by yeah, the way yeah Josh Harris yeah. So asked her to, um, he'd asked her to, to come along and document this project that he was doing um, around the millennium uh, I think um, getting people to live in a bunker yeah. and this kind of uh, sort of thing um, and she uh, she was sort of saying oh yeah she'd done all this film and she's going I'm not sure what to do with this and she was going this guy is quite strange but he's somewhat present but then she was driving along not sure what to do and he disappeared into Africa I think at that point right yeah um, and then Facebook had just appeared and she saw the first started seeing the first sort of Facebook updates that she'd seen where people were just commenting on this is what I had for lunch this and were basically sharing their everyday public thoughts and she's like oh my god this is what he was talking about however many years ago it's yeah. beginning to happen and he's not in the position to make money out of it now, but he was—he <laughs> could see that people. This is this whole sort of narcissistic impulse, impulse that we have, and that he had and recognised, but also, you know, um, yeah. So she's she's just really engaged and interested. I, like, there's a couple of. I saw another document she did um, called Call It, which was, I guess, lesser known. Um, so it's a global warming one. Yeah, well, well it's about, it was about a guy um, who's uh, an academic. I think he wrote a book. I think called the Reluctant Fundament, uh, Reluctant um, Environmentalist, maybe. Um, anyway, he 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 was kind of decried by both sides of the equation, and that um, he was saying that. Um, Yes, um, global warming, uh, climate change is something we have to be worried about. But at the same time, it's not like the the death sayers are saying that we, the world's going to be disappearing in the next sort of decade if, you, if we're not careful. But he was he was trying to take a really moderate point of view of saying, okay, what things can we actually do? We've got all this money and these scaremongering tactics that are getting people to throw money at um, recycling and all these other little projects that people could do and try and feel better about. Oh, I'm doing this one this little thing, which he said is actually not making a lot of difference. And he was trying to say, how can we direct money to larger scale things that will make a difference? Right. Like um changing the surfaces of roading um, so that it doesn't um, soak in so much heat but reflects things like that like, right, like so um, basically <laughs> large scale um, ways of affecting their, uh, the temperatures and the environment around um, around massive cities which are a lot of the problems are coming from um, yeah it was really interesting um, and uh, his point of view was really that she covered in the documentary was really about um, let's stop the kind of the the hyperbole that's happening mm-hmm. around this and try and settle to say what are some practical things that would be worth spending money on as governments and as um, corporations that we could do 
on large scale that would make a difference. It's interesting. It seems yeah. like all her documentaries are about extreme males in a way, because certainly dig with them. Yeah. Uh, and to newcomer yeah, with the yeah. Brian Jonestown Massacre yeah. is a very difficult yeah. character as well. Um, um, what, one documentary... Oh, sorry. Her one coming up is um, Maplethorpe, Robert Maplethorpe. Oh, right. That'll be uh, uh, pretty actually, powerful. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's, it might be... I've not a... But I, um, Docker, but it's a, um, a biopic, and that looks like oh, a really okay. interesting. Um, yeah. But she also, the other thing I wanted to say just before I jump off her is that she um, doesn't just do features, she is really involved in um, other um, related projects. Like she runs a, a thing called Bring Your Own Documentary, which is uh, runs on uh, a YouTube channel, um, a thing called Lip TV, where they basically she interviews um, documentary makers about their documentaries and um, why they're doing it, the things that they've found, um, problems, um, basically getting people to explore their craft. And I think she runs things at Sundance, uh, at South by Southwest and what have you. And she also runs a web site, web portal kind of group of projects which are not not full features, but they're little um, uh, little doc interview things with people that she thinks are change makers in the areas of technology and various other other arenas um, called A Total Disruption mm-hmm. um, and so I think they're available online um, which is um, like I think, I'm trying to think who she interviewed, well, I, there was a couple that I watched um, might have been the guys I'm not sure if it was on Twitter or, or it was one of those kind of um, social enterprises um, and just getting these people's ideas about um technology and change and why they were doing the things they were doing and what kind of drew them to that kind of area and, and basically trying to see who who are disrupt who is disrupting the status quo right. um, in areas of technology and areas of media and stuff like that and how are they disrupting yeah it's quite an interesting little project yeah I mean it's an interesting um, I mean there's this whole question of what does a filmmaker you know do now yeah you know? and there's and you know you have directors like um, Nicole Holofsen or Al Larson yeah. Anders who um, you know wound up directing a lot of television along the way mm. because that's where the money mm. was and that's you know um, and because independent film is such a hard what television oh. did Nicole Hol- Holofsen do? Um, she did. Oh boy, you're gonna <laughs> start me up on this um, uh, She did because uh, I don't know something early on. Uh, hold the line, caller. Um, she did Orange Is the New Black, Inside Amy Schumer, oh. Unbreakable Kid. So I think I knew her from Board. I think Forward to Death was the first one I saw her on. Oh, but, she did know, one next of Gilmore Girls, <laughs> Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah. So she's yeah. I mean and. and and there's an, yeah, and certainly, but I mean, among those, um, nine, I mean, Nicole Holofsener is a great um, female director as well, and um, I'm, you know, enough, I've only seen Enough Said, but yeah, I really liked it. Enough Said is beautiful. I, I need to loan you um, Lovely and Amazing, which is, um, at the time, I, I was probably a bit more um, judgmental, and I'm like... I don't really want to see a 90-minute interrogation of female body issues, um, and I, which is what it was, but I, I went to see it only because I was kind of seeing everything that came out, yeah. and I walked out and it was in my top 10 for the year. It was oh, just wow. um, so well done and quietly trenchant without, yeah. um, and there's uh, Emily, there's this amazing scene where Emily Mortimer asks um, her paramour at the time, who I think might be Dylan McDermott, but I can't remember. 
Oh, is this to be honest? Was it a documentary? Or no, what? it's a it's a drama. Oh, um, but but her paramour in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, to say everything that's wrong with her body, and she's in front of him in like a bra and panties, yeah. and and he proceeds, and because she's like um, really conscious about the fat under her arms, and he proceeds to, in a very gentle way, give this complete evisceration of everything. And that without having actually having mentioned the arms, and then yeah. at the end, and they're just such a powerful scene, and there's quite a few really like uh, in taking. Um, I mean, I was listening to something that Aaron Sorkin was saying about finding you know the sort of frictional points or the points of yeah. you know where you can actually get the mm. conflict, and so taking this kind of abstruse theme of female body issues yeah. and bringing it into points where it's like you actually get an interpersonal conflict out, out of it mm. in a strong emotional context yeah. that makes it not just um, didactic but yeah. really uh, potent. Yeah, uh, and that's and and again. And I've I've seen that and enough said on it, and I might have seen Walking and Talking, and I honestly don't remember. It's oh, yeah. like kind of that early when I was first getting into films yeah. and just renting everything, yeah. and you know, it's like I and I get it mixed up with Kicking and Screaming and like a lot of other films that you know, <laughs> something and something exactly. Yeah, you know, there's just all those films that have kind of the same uh, scansion to their titles. So who else is um, on your list, man? Well, you know, we were talking about doc directors, and I mm. want to mention um, Laura Poitras. Ah, yeah, Citizen um, Four. Yeah, Citizen Four. But I haven't seen her really stuff. Um, well, I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen a film called The Oath, which played at um, uh, a film festival in 2009 or 10, right. uh, where she interviewed, I, I think it was Osama Bin Laden's personal driver or oh. something like that. Ah, uh, yes, And yes. he moved to New York and... Um, and so there were all these, um, and it was just, and again, it was interesting because you have a female director following these complicated men who have made strong decisions on the basis of fervent personal belief in both mm. the oath and Citizen Four. Four. Yeah. And so it's, um, and so she's attracted to that subject matter, but also this, you know, geopolitical significance. Yeah. And I mean, Citizen Four is something she was dragged into by, by Snowden and Greenwald. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Um, she, you know, after she did the oath, she was, um, uh, stopped at customs all the time. Yeah. You know, because it's like, well, why are you talking, talking to... to yeah, yeah, exactly. She and got so, on, the, on the blacklist. Of, yeah, the blacklist. And, um, and yeah, and so she's wound up inadvertently, I suppose, um, being the advocate for secrecy and, and encryption mm. and all these sorts of things where I think... Um, but, she, you know, she's a very... Um, Quiet, you know. I mean, there's the whole sort of Greenwald Poitras dynamic in Citizen Four. Where, yeah, you know, he's quite brash and yeah, and and I can't don't really like him. And it's not just that I don't like him; it's that I don't like the way he conducts his um, yeah his investigation and his methods. Um, but meanwhile, um, the analytic work that Poitras is doing with mm. her camera and just, you know, there's that great moment in, in the middle of Citizen Four where um, he's in his room alone and yeah. she's just, except for her, obviously, mm. and she's just watching him through her camera and, um, and he's just kind of, you know, packing and kind of 
taking in this moment where he's, you know, going to go to Russia and, and mm. just being able to have that quiet intimacy that you, yeah. you couldn't get in that kind of like fire hose of Greenwald. And yeah. so I think, um, and I think, you know, we were talking before about like, oh, there's maybe this stereotype that like a woman make films about baking or whatever, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm being overly silly, but you know, I mean, that this is, you know, when you talk about a film about Edward Snowden or, or you know, um, geopolitical stuff it's exactly the sort of thing that you know the gender uh, approach or whatever fades into the background yeah and the actual personality of the filmmaker yeah comes yeah. to the fore and and I thought Citizen Four was not just a great get and I yeah. mean you know how almost anybody who had a camera there during that time yeah would have got something yeah but I thought that um what she got was well and truly above what yeah just anyone would yeah get. well so, yeah. I mean she didn't she's not sort of bought into the hyperbole of issues 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 she's really interested in, in the person yeah but she is interested in the issues yeah, as well yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a real yeah. um, it's a real mix so who else is on your list on mine okay um, someone who's uh, who's big on my list um, and has been for a while is uh, Andrea Arnold uh, English filmmaker ah yes yes who you uh, I don't know do you, you uh, well, did you, you watch Rothering I still have I don't watch Rothering Heights. <laughs> he, he loaned me the Blu-ray like at film festival and I was sitting there. Um, I'm, I was thinking I was going to watch it today and then I lost my wedding ring in the sand. True story. Uh, <laughs> I called you at work about it so you know it's a true story. <laughs> one um, one uh, middle ticket later. But um, I've, I've only seen Red Road and I hated Red Road. You hated um, it? I hated Red Road and it's interesting because somebody held it up uh, in an article I was reading recently as a masterpiece and and um, I just found yeah, it I'm not so sure that I didactic. It, I don't think I'd call it a masterpiece, but... Um well, it's, see, how I got into it, um, I remember um, it was coming to festival, or was it um, Autumn Events, or whatever? No, it's a festival. Um, I remember the, the comment being that um, Lars von Trier had a kind of series of films that he wanted made, and Red Robe was one of the first to do with that, I think. Um, and I, I thought, oh, okay, so that's how I got into it. And it's, so Red Road is about um, a lady who works for the... Um, CCTV service in, in Glasgow um, and then as she's watching CCTV she sees some stuff going on and then it ends up sort of turning around on her um, and I thought it was pretty good like I, I liked some of the story I liked the way she shot it I thought she got a bit kind of tied up with um, a little bit kind of over dramatic at the end, um, it sort of blew out. And then the same thing with Fish Tank, which was um, her next film, which I liked a lot more. Um, but again, at the end, I thought she sort of flew into these slight kind of bizarre fights of fancy, um, right. which I thought was kind of out of character with the rest of the film. But it, yeah, that was, I, that I, was, I just felt like the the dramatic hoops that she was making her characters jump, jump through in Red Road weren't earned by what we had observed of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you see Fish Tank? I did not see Fish Tank. Oh, it's got a great performance by Fassbender. Um, that was his breakout very role, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, was Hunger before that? I think they were around the same time. Oh, yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. I saw that first, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I, I went to a media screening for Hunger, but the print kept breaking, and <laughs> I was like, I need to get home because it was 45 minutes late because they were trying to keep trying to fix it and so I left and then right. apparently they got it sorted about 15 minutes afterwards 
Yeah, it was the old academy. Um, right. Um, no reflection on current management. <laughs> no, we no, love no. you. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and, yeah, so um, Fish Tank is about... Uh, well, that's about a girl who is... So she focuses on women's stories a lot. Uh, yeah. girl, about, about a girl who lives in a housing estate in somewhere in the UK um, who is basically trying to find something that she can connect to and and, and she really likes um, her pop music and dancing and so she sort of dances to herself and then she f- finds this flyer for a for a, a dance competition she sort of goes to aim towards getting into that and so she's practicing and she's getting hassled by some of the local sort of bully girls and um, she's got a friend a, a guy friend who she sort of hangs out with and he they sort of hang out in some derelict um, abandoned houses dancing but then at the same time her mum which who was played by I think Kirsten Waring I think who is an English I don't actress? Know who that is. She's been in a Loach film. Uh, oh, that helps. <laughs> um, who um, is? I don't. I'm not sure if she's got a drinking problem, but she's a single mum and she's like they're poor. She's got some issues, um, and then she gets Fassbender and, and gets in a relationship with Fassbender, who turns out to be a slightly dicey cat. Um, um, and yeah, and it's, it's really nicely done. But then at the end, it kind of goes a little bit kind of hyperbolic, I think. Um, which some people may like, but I kind of found a bit that. But for me, that tendency in her worked perfectly for um, for Wuthering Heights, which is one of the best um, literary adaptations I've seen. It, it strips the story down to bare essentials. It really is um, the story from Heathcliff's point of view. Um, so I haven't read it. We'll just start with that. And it's uh. it's really it's it's a, a visceral retelling. Like the wind and the moors is like. A massive thing. It's less about the kind of the high drama and the you know you think of the Kate Bush song or whatever. Um, is it Kate Bush? It is Kate yeah. Bush. Yes. Um, and and um, it's it's more about these like there's there's two two sort of timelines to it. There's a couple of kids when they're young and then later when they're older. Um, and the older um, Catherine is played by Kaya Scodelera. Godalera, who's been subsequently been in a bunch of things like okay. um, Southcliffe and a bunch of others, um, and uh, she um, really kind of captures the the connection to the land, the kind of the it's it's immersed in the north, so people right. are speaking with northern accents. Um, they are um, they're in a, this kind of grotty, rain swept and um, windswept landscape in the moors. Um, they're doing visceral farm things like catching animals and skinning them. Um, she uses no um, non-diegetic sound. Or what? No, which was diegetic is diegetic. What happens in the, uh, in the in the yeah in the scene? So she yeah, yeah virtually uses no non-diegetic sounds. It's just a few songs here and there, right. um, but a couple. But the rest of it is all just sounds that's happening on screen, um, and it's just really pared back, beautifully shot, okay. quite yeah, quite quite touching. But then it, the dramatic aspects of the story allow her to kind of use indulge those tendencies in herself but in a way that sort of is really fitting for the material later on um, yeah with that she, she's got this weird mesh of kind of social realist almost uh, well a social realist kind of feel but then this kind of heightened um, melodramatic sort of yeah 
So is it another, because I mean, it sounds like both Red Road and Fish Tank, it's kind of this existentialist female. I mean, certainly mm. in Red Road, it was mm. very much that. And is that the case in Wuthering Heights as well? I haven't. Uh, do you know the, the book? I No, no. Here's, I mean, part of the reason I haven't watched Wuthering Heights is because, um, well, no, um, is because right before you gave it to me, I watched um, the adaptation of Madame Bovary, which I fucking hated. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, wow, Madame Bovary's really a dick. And like, <laughs> She is. She's a total dick. Like, she's just like, oh, I'm not happy, so I'm going to bankrupt this guy that's perfectly nice. And then oh, yeah, yeah. I, and then I screwed up, so I'm going to kill myself at the end. In the um, book, people are like, <laughs> yes, people are assholes. Like, there's barely a likable character in, in Wuthering Heights. They're all, but the, I think the book is more heightened in that sense. Right. And more sort of product of its time. The movie, I wouldn't say it's unfaithful, but it's more grounded in a, in a less kind of uh, romantic sensibility right. um, or, or a gothic kind of sensibility like that that uh, is definitely there but it's not it's it's a more kind of visceral in the land kind of I promise I'll watch it in the next six months yeah. and then you can get me mother back it's fine <laughs> um I, I was just so you were talking about Andrew Arnold I was yeah. thinking of Ursula uh, Antoniak who's um, who? yeah well exactly she's a filmmaker who um, it Polish Dutch um, and she made a film called uh, Nothing Personal with Stephen Rhea that's a um, sort of two person um, Stephen Rhea is this, old, this guy that lives alone in a cottage in the woods and this young woman washes up there and and it's you know sort of a two-hander and and people are keeping secrets and it's oh, all yeah. and it, it which to me is kind of a thing that drives me nuts um but it really worked in that and it, it felt like this strong portrait of of alienation that had a real elemental sense to it that was um really extraordinary um and she followed that up with um a film called Code Blue that was infamous at Cannes um, because there were warnings on the door, I think, about the um, sexual violence content of it. And, um, yeah, there's a scene where very not much is left to one's imagination for a very long time. And it takes that sort of alienation thing to sort of that next... um, level and I think it kind of ruined her career I don't know that she's made anything since then but um, it's you know it's it's like Von Trier without the laughs and and Hanukkah Hanukkah without the lean forward thing it's just it's just fucking bleak but um, but at the same time you know it's like it's it's so um, you know it's I don't know there's something nice about seeing um, a female perspective on that yeah um just talk about a dark filmmaker of another yeah. um, story. I mean, one of the interesting things about this sort of 52 films by yeah. women thing is some of the films that people Wester co-directed, you know, and you have yeah. like um, Straw Poulet, uh, or you have um, the new Kung Fu Panda, where uh, yeah. Jennifer Yeo is one of the directors. Um, Jennifer Yeo, I think her name is. Uh, and then you have um, one of one of my favorite filmmaking duos next to the Coen brothers would be... Uh, 
uh, Bruno Frizzani and Helene Catet. Oh, they, yeah. Amir, and then uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. Oh, yes, Um, that uh, classic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. uh, I haven't seen it. It's just an odd title. (laughs) It's um, an adaptation of. Sort of portmanteau of a couple different of those weird yellow titles of mm. like um, the strange case of Mrs. Ward and um, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, Gialis had always had great titles like Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, you know. <laughs> in that context, the strange color of your body's tears perfectly yeah. fits in. Um, and they also did the O is for Orgasm short in uh, oh, the yeah. ABCs of Death, yes, yes. which was you know far and away the best thing in that film as far as I was concerned. Um, and I think for some people far and away the worst thing um <laughs> i'm trying to remember uh it's uh it's the experimental strange one and there's bubbles and, oh yes yeah yeah, yeah 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 um so yeah so they're and and amir is somewhat like that and strange color is even more like that and oh, yeah. there are people who are very increasingly in command of their Craft mm. um, with an increasingly blatant disregard for storytelling yeah. um, in favor of this really sensual experience that's repetitive and got lost. And I think, um, I mean, the way I think I phrased my reaction to Strange Color is like, oh, you like chocolate banana chip ice cream? Here's 20 gallons of it. Don't leave till you eat it all. Um, you know, any 10 minutes of it, I think most people who had any genre interest would watch and be like, ah, oh, that's one of the best films I've ever seen. But it just keeps going, and it just keeps going. But um, but there's just no one else doing what they do, and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. And um, I, you know, I don't know how much that breaks down with Helene versus Bruno, and I don't know how oh, much yeah. you count that a, as a film by a woman. But it's a film in part by a woman, and I shouldn't default to a man just because there's a man involved with it, I suppose. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of other people I could mention, but, you know, some of them are people I've only seen a film by, like Julia Lay, who did um, Sleeping Beauty, um, you know, which I thought was a extraordinary film, but got also got vilified at Cannes. There's also a portrait of female alienation, oh, yeah. and I don't know what she's been up to. Um, Lucretia Martel is somebody who's... Yeah. Um, I've only seen The Holy Girl, which was a pretty interesting film. I haven't seen any by her, but I've got, um, um, I've got a DVD copy of The, the Headless, Headless Woman. Woman yeah, The Headless Woman is really considered by some people as one of the strongest films of the 2000s mm. and I just haven't got around to it yet so we should yeah, and, um, yeah, and um, you know and then there's people who've only made one or two films like Jennifer Kent with The Babadook or um, Lucille Hazalilovich uh, with Innocence Innocence when yeah which that? is a, that was 2004 and then that's a while she's, yeah she just came out last year and hopefully um, New Zealand Film Festival if you're listening we know you're not listening but if yeah. you're listening <laughs> Um, pick up Evolution, which is her new film. Oh, yeah. um, but Innocence is set at a girls' boarding school. Yeah. Um, which makes it sound a little bit like um, Carol, uh, I forget her last name, uh, The Falling from last year, oh, Carol right. Morley. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is an altogether uh, much more um, transported, beautiful mm. fever dream of a film. Right. And it's um, it's a film I love. It's probably like in my top 20 of yeah. like 
films that I'd love to see on a big screen um, and just get lost in it because it is um, a a real dream of a film. And then uh, Anna Lily Lily Amupur as well, who um, had had Girl Walks Home Alone at night, and she's on her second one at the moment. I think her second one's getting done already, so yeah, 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 we'll we'll see how they go. I still haven't seen the first one, so... Oh, you didn't Um, see Girl Walks Home? No, no. um, Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's one of those things where I think... I don't think it's a love-hate thing, necessarily, but it's... uh, I, I, I was on the line for a, for about five or ten minutes that I think mm. I said in our last podcast or one of our last podcasts and, yeah. uh, uh, but then I, I ended up really loving it from a structural perspective just marvellous yeah um, so I'm really interested to see what she does um, another person that we, we've already mentioned that I'm really keen on is um, Catherine Bigelow um, for a more sort of mainstream filmmaker I, I guess a lot of the filmmakers we're talking about are sort of in the in the festival art house mainstream, but they're not really in the mainstream. But whereas right. Catherine Bigelow is firmly in the mainstream, um, and she, but she does really interesting films, and she does them really well. Um, like I said, Near Dark is um, I've got a thing for vampires, but this is like <laughs> uh, Adrian Pazdar um, as this sort of country dude who's um, wandering around, meets this girl, and next thing you know. Um, turns out she's a vampire involved with a like a little clan or kind of family, and they're almost like a heck family. It sounds like the Hells Have Eyes or something. Well, yes and no. Um, she, but she kind of really likes him, so she does her best to keep him from being sort of subsumed by this sort of thing. But um, it was really interesting. I think I saw. I can't remember if it was on the DVD. It might be on the DVD. I saw an interview where um, Catherine Bigelow was talking about the experience of making the film and how it was one of the few times uh, like I think it was around the time that she was married to James Cameron right um, and she used that connection to get um, uh, actors from Aliens right (laughs) Um, because she had um, Lance Henriksen and um, Michael Bean and I'm not sure if Michael Bean's in there but um, uh, Bill Paxton oh yeah uh, two of the like the head and the um, so um, Lance Henriksen is the um, head of the family and um, Bill Pullman is the kind of the raucous, slightly younger um, alpha alpha male kind of part of the vampire family. And I can't remember the girl's name, uh, actress, but she was really pretty well cast as well. And it's just a really bizarre little kind of dysfunctional family film about right. vampires set in the kind of the, the grain belt of America. Really. Really, that's a... Um... Yeah, it's it's a film as I said that's been on my list. Now, have you seen like Blue Steel or any of those or K nineteen The Widowmaker or uh, no? I or The Weight of Water. That's another uh, Weight of Water one that comes. Yeah, yeah. That's um, there's a few big ones that kind of. Oh yeah, those ones. Um, I've seen most of the big ones like Point Break. Like at the time, I didn't know who she was at Point Break. But yeah, I really loved the film. The high flying over the top action, but yeah. <laughs> what was that? Um, yeah, that moment that's referenced in uh, Shaun of the Dead, where yeah. or not Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, yeah. where um, you know he can't fire at him and fire his gun in the sky. And yeah, shoots on the sky. It covers that um, yeah. coded homoerotic romance uh, yeah, in its yeah, yeah. own way. Um, one woman who. 
uh, isn't mainstream but should be is uh, Gina Prince Spithwood. Um, um, you what? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I I um, only know her through one of her films. Um, she did a film called Love and Basketball and another film called The Secret Life of Bees, um, oh, both of which have yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some real supporters. But uh, I um, and she's African American and she did a film uh, in 2014 called Beyond the Lights about a. Um, pop star who has more or less a bit of a breakdown and oh, yeah. goes off with this other guy um, to get a, get away from it all. And it's, it's one of those films that barely hit the radar that should have been um, and could have been huge, I felt like. It was just a very beautiful, well-observed portrait that still hit all those kind of genre marks it almost in some ways reminded me of um without the franchise trappings but of something like creed where, oh, did yeah. you see creed i haven't seen creed yet no. oh, creed is so good man it's so amazing it's just um it's just so honest in its directorial and like kind of hanging out style and finding yeah. moments and that's um what struck me about beyond the lights as well in its own way oh, yeah. um was and um, and I think she was a former publicist, and so some of the stuff that comes in in the film that comes from observing. Um, I'm remembering now. There's an early um, suicide attempt by the um, oh, okay. uh, thing, and the and the male lead is like the guy that um, saves her from it. That's like a bodyguard or something. Oh, yeah. um, and they wind up having this complicated romance and. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like the sort of thing that in 1987 would have been a shoe in for, you know, yeah. $80 million at the box office, but yeah. it barely existed. As I mean, it never came out in New Zealand, I don't think. I don't even know if it came out on DVD. Um, I watched it on iTunes, so I'm not mm. really sure. But African-American stuff often has an uphill battle here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I, I would definitely add that to your list if you get the chance, because um, Beyond the Lights is a pretty special movie, and I'm going to be trying check out Love and Basketball this year oh, which cool. as I said has got raves mm, cool uh, now I, I, I was when before I thought you were going to mention Julia Loktev who I yeah know, yeah yeah um, I'm a big fan of as well but um, what what sticks out about her work to you um I um the first of his I saw was um at festival was The Loneliest Planet which was a uh, um, Gabriel Garcia Bernal um, and Hani Furstenberg yeah um, about uh, a couple who were kind of had been travelling the world for quite some time and had, you know had scenes of um, quite lovely shot scenes of, of them and obviously quite an intimate relationship and then that relationship gets put to the test when they're on a kind of a walk out in the Caucasus um, mountains in, in Georgia um, with a local guide. Yeah. Um, and stuff. And let's not say any more about yeah. it after and, that. And stuff happens. But, yeah. um, but what, again, it appealed to my um, my love of, of structure. Um, it's such a structuralist film. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think... <laughs> I described it, it felt to me kind of like, um, 
because I always sort of when I when I watch film and I and I feel a, a rhythmic sort of structure to it, 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 I often get a sort of picture of it. It, it felt like um, like a, an accordion, um, like how um, you, things get pressed in and really kind of concentrated, and then it stretches out into this long. And so right. the the film basically travels along with these like intense periods of dialogue where there's lots of talking and interaction and kind of things all in an intense short period and then suddenly it stretches out into no dialogue masses of open wide shots of mm-hmm. uh, scenery um, and to, to, of to, space between yeah, to let you kind of well. to kind of unpack what's been going on um, and then also to um, sure the stuff happening with the dialogue but there's a lot of um, fine detail um, real physical um storytelling in terms of the physicality of the actors um, uh, positioning of the body the position of the characters to each other um, yeah. the kind of movement that um, conveys a lot of what's happening emotionally between these characters when they're on these massive walks and like as someone who likes tramping and walking um, yeah. you do just go for long periods um, not not doing this whole appreciating the beauty business, but just like getting into a rhythm of walking and trudging yeah. and and not talking, just conserving energy and 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 being part of the space, but moving through it. It's, it's a really bizarre thing. And then you do stop, and then you talk, and then you appreciate what's around you, and you kind of. But there are periods where you're not, where you're just kind of moving through this thing. Yeah, and and she kind of captured that sense while telling this interesting kind of human drama yeah I, I found it fascinating I, yeah. I don't think I'm seeing everyone's cup of tea but I really really like the style of story yeah it's, it's very pointedly bifurcated in the yeah. middle which as is her um, the other feature that I've seen Day Night mm. Night which, which has well. that really yeah. strong split between the interior hotel room and the first half I mean mm. that the film is about a um, suicide bomber yeah. um, who's who's ridding herself to, yeah. And, yeah and so the first half is in the hotel room and then she preparations and, and then the it's on the streets of New York yeah the real world and um and so so yeah it's it's interesting because you have this sort of almost art um like and i don't mean art film but like i actually mean like art practice yeah uh this sensibility of uh structural conditioning yeah that determines the shape of the film and then the narrative kind of sluts into that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, what, what struck you about Day Night, Day Night? I think... Yeah, I think, I mean, you're right, there's a sense of... Um, of the girl in the, in the earlier shots and basically being... Everything is kind of closed in spaces. It's um, her kind of... In a sense, she's she's quite she's not she doesn't appear to be overly nervous, but she's just trying to sort of take in take on board what the people preparing her are saying, um, and dealing with the I guess the boredom as well of being just sort of sat in a room and not really doing anything, waiting, um, and then how kind of how everything is kind of contained and then when she's let out into this open space it's like she's completely out of her depth and out of control in the sea of humanity yeah uh, 
Yeah, and the, the I guess uh, looking at ideology in those spaces. Yeah, and how does it work when you're in this kind of really closed in closed system versus yeah. an open system? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then there's also there's this tension release that. Um, you have of like at any point you know what's mm. going to be the moment and you and I think because it's a low budget film you have a sense that like okay it's not gonna yeah, yeah. go off in the middle of Times Square probably but and especially you know just rhythmically you know it's like this is the character we've been following here's, it can't here's, happen too early because yeah, there's the rest yeah. of the and here's the scene at the end that Michael Bay shot film together yeah <laughs> But yeah, I don't know what she's been up to, and um, mm. I, I know she made a film before that called Moment of Impact, which is yeah. really hard to track down. I don't really know how to even see it. Um, but yeah, she's. Because how long ago was Loneliest Planet? Was it 2013? 2011. 2011. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I think it played here 2012. Oh Because yeah. uh, it was the same year as uh, Taboo, and yeah. um, and those were my two favorite films that year. Mm-hmm. Long and Holy Motors was somewhere up there. As well, yeah. but um, yeah, no, it's an extraordinary film, and I just hope that the relative box office failure of it doesn't uh, block her from making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully she finds films, projects that she's keen to work on that can come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, and again, this is one of those things. Do you judge by gender? Do you judge by yeah. um, other? You know, the, in each individual case, there's always factors, but collectively, yeah. I mean, I was I've been looking at um, movies that have been coming out each week in New York and I noticed last week there were movie, more movies that came out with exclamation points at the end of the title <laughs> than were directed by women and as it happened uh, yeah. the one film that came out Mavis that was directed by a woman that had an exclamation point at the cut and, but then there was another one as well with an exclamation point and it's just like you know and, th- and that was out of 19 or 20 films and, yeah. that's, and so when you get um, these calls for sort of parity and lists or things mm. like that I think I think they're, it's like, well, actually, you know, the problem goes back to the very beginning. And certainly yeah. it's not just a film thing. I mean, I was, um, have you been following this Radio New Zealand controversy about um, Maori representation? Uh, not particularly, no. Uh, so there's been, um, someone has pointed out quite rightly that, you know, very few of the reporters yeah. on Radio New Zealand mm-hmm. are Maori. Yeah. And, um, and so they've just invested in, um, they've committed to training five Maori. Maori reporters over yeah. the next few years yeah. to um, because obviously you can't just go out and hire five yeah. John Campbell's level people who are Maori because yeah. those people don't exist yeah. but it's not that there aren't talented people it's yeah. that you know they haven't had the support system all yeah. through the way and, and so that's the case with a lot of um, well it's really interesting directors I think on that kind of general point there was um there was a, a documentary on um Maori television a couple of weeks well a few weeks back um not that long ago called um Hotor Ma um which was about it reminded me actually it would make a really good companion piece with um Out of the Mist um okay. which is looking at Maori cinema and what oh, is Maori cool. cinema um it's just like a, a one hour doco yeah Hotor um so H-A-U-T-O-A space EMA um, and it was on Māori television I think it's probably um, available online there I'd love to see that yeah because um, that's um, and it's um, 
it's basically just a, a series of interviews um, with a bunch of Māori filmmakers and actors, so um, Lee Tamahori, um, Ainsley Gardner, um, Cliff Curtis, um, a range of people, uh, and um, uh, produce, uh, Tony O. Stevens. Um, Great. Uh, a bunch of others as well, but those are kind of some of the key ones. Um, talking about what is Māori cinema... How has it been developing? And one of the things they, they mentioned was that around the time that Once for Warriors was coming out um, and, and being a kind of a, a, a turning moment in, in Māori cinema, and Lee Tamahori started saying that he was really... They were all really nervous because he said, in a sense, this was a big thing for Māori because he basically said, let's only... If, if there's a chance to get a Māori person in a role, hire them even if right. they don't necessarily have experience. And he basically said it's the same thing. There weren't a lot of Māori people in... Like, there were some Māori directors yeah. and actors, but there weren't Māori production people um, yeah. who had experience. And so they just tried to get people in and nurture them up. And and a lot of the people that are in there now are, like, pretty well-known in the industry because they got a chance to get trained and, and, and get involved in some decent projects. Um, and then went from there and so I can sort of see how this um, initiative from Radio New Zealand might actually kind of turn out pretty well yeah yeah Yeah, and I think I think it's interesting I mean with any power structure right Mm -hmm. there's going to be a different set of things at play and in America you have a studio system with several different studios where Mm -hmm. one can be more powerful than another and assert that and I don't think any of them are doing particularly well at the moment to the Mm -hmm. best of my knowledge in New Zealand it's largely the film commission and I would say that um you know, the numbers aren't 50-50, but New Zealand does better than many other places in terms of the number of female directors it supports. Yeah. Um, potentially leaning more towards documentaries. You know, yeah. you have um, Briar March and, you know, yeah. and Alex Duncan stuff, which kind of splits yeah. the um, thing. And, you know, Gay Wayne, who we previously yeah. mentioned. Chris uh, Miriam? Uh, Miriam Smith, who works yeah. with Chris Pryor. Yeah. Um, Leanne Pooley, who's filmed the ground... Um, uh, 25 April will yep. be coming out. She did the Top Twins yep. doco and um, the Beyond the Edge and 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 several others over the years. And um, but and then we also have um, Alison McQueen's finally yep. coming back to the big screen with her adaptation of Eleanor Cadden's uh, The Rehearsal. Oh, yeah. uh, and so I think New Zealand has. A better batting average, both with its indigenous population and with um, female directors, mm-hmm. than a lot of places. But yeah. that's not to say that we can't do better. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, certainly, and and it's good that the conversations are happening. Um, yeah, that might be a good place to wrap up, unless you have anyone else to mention. Um, um, on an entirely unrelated note, we could say our farewells to a certain um, not very female director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, pronunciation again. Oh, Andre Zulawski. Andre Zulawski, yeah. Before, I, before we go to him, though, did you want to mention anybody? Or um, are you... I think probably just in passing, there's a few other um, sort of more well-known um, directors who I've only seen one or two of who I'm quite keen to kind of get a bit, of, bit more from. Um, uh, 
Lynn Ramsey, um, who I haven't seen her earlier works, um, but we need to Don't talk bother. about her. Oh, really? Oh, no, I mean, people love him. I, I'm not a Morvan fan Keller. of Red Catcher. I'm not a fan of Morvan Keller. I fucking loved We Need to Talk About Yeah, Kevin. we need to talk about Kevin. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Tilda Swinton and Ezra Miller, Miller and John yeah. C. Riley. Yeah. 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 That, that was uh, discomfort food of, yeah. of high standard. It's a real um, shame she didn't get to make um, Jeannie Got a Gun. Oh, yeah. Um, which wound up just yeah. coming out to zero critical acclaim or yeah. audience interest uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? It with came Gavin out? Gavin O'Connor. Yeah, finally came out. Oh. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Um, yeah. um, uh, another one, um, Cleo Barnard, who did the Southwest Giant. Um, I mean, she's she, probably not your cup of tea. She sort of, well, I did like The, Ar- the Arbor. The Arbor, um, yeah. Which was an interesting film because, you know, it was set around that housing um, area, but it yeah. was all... Um, previous recordings that they had actors yeah. lip-syncing yeah. to and so it had a um, an interesting interesting yeah, yeah an, an interesting kind of displacement to yeah. it that put it, it put it aside from just standard kitchen sink melodrama which yeah. is kind of what I understood the selfish giant to be yeah yeah but it was more, yeah pretty much more down that line it, it had, there was a little more I think there's probably a little more poetry to it um, okay. than with some but Definitely in that mo- in that vein, yeah. But I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, that's my kind of stuff. Um, I'll mention I'll mention Mia Hansen Love, who I think is oh, um, what does she do? Terrific. The name. Um, um, she's um, the film I love her for is The Father of My Children, which played festival in two thousand nine, and which uh, starts kicking along in one direction and then has a real abrupt plot turn, which oh. I won't spoil. Um, and that's a somewhat autobiographical film, as is uh, Goodbye First Love, which is her follow-up. And then she did um, Eden as well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and both those films are a bit controversial because they take place over, like, ten years, but they don't do anything to actually age the appearance of the actors. <laughs> um, Eden is about the um, French dance scene, and I haven't seen that one, but, like, the scene that Daft Punk came out of. Oh, uh, right, And all okay. that kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, uh, and it, it did quite well. It placed in the top 20 in the Scandies, and I just didn't get around to it. Okay. Uh, and and she's just had a new film starring Isabelle Huppert uh, premiere, I think, at Berlin, called possibly Rotterdam, but I think Berlin, called Things to Come, where she, uh, Isabelle okay. Huppert plays a philosophy professor. Oh, yeah. And that's supposed to be spectacular. So, mm. um, yeah, she has, she has a really lovely sensibility. That sounds really condescending when I say it. But um, I, I don't know, just... It, just, it reminds me of Assayas slightly, yeah. Um, and and those so like I associate her films with like summer hours and things like that. And I don't know if she has any other association with Assayas. There might be one, but um, certainly um, they seem like kindred spirits. Yeah, kin- yeah. kindred spirits. Um, it, Vera Shitalova's um, made a couple dozen films, and I've only seen Daisies, which oh, is yeah. a pretty anarchic um, Czech film from the uh, oh, yeah, yeah. 60s, but it's, yeah. a, it's a real kick up the pants for somebody who wants uh, something different. And the, and and similarly, um, Shirley Clark, who's an American filmmaker, has made a couple documentaries uh, that I've seen. Um, one's an Ornette Coleman one called oh, okay. Ornette. Ornette Made in America, uh, which yeah, I've is... Heard of that. I think it might have played at Festival or at Film Society. Yeah, it's, it's, been, sh- it's been somewhere that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, it's been doing the rounds, and it's a very strange film. I saw a print of it like 15 years ago, and a lot of it is really terribly dated and doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um, her rhythms are trying to emulate Ornette Coleman rhythms, and it's a very <laughs> interesting film in that sense. And she did another film called The Portrait of Jason, which is somewhat... It's, it's this gay guy who's a hustler, um, African-American guy who's just sitting around and talking about himself and talking shit for like 90 minutes and and kind of in a, you know also talking to the crew at points or to yeah. Shirley and, and kind of and it's a strange film um, yeah. not not to everybody's taste but it's one of those you could sample five minutes of and either be like yeah no thank you or be like quite curious about who yeah. is this guy why yeah. are you listening to him because he's a very unique character and yeah. it's just him so yeah mm-hmm Oh, interesting. The other per- last person I probably want to mention, or as a couple, is um, Miranda July, who's a performance artist. Um, yeah, me well. and you and, and everyone we know. know yeah, is, and uh, yeah, yeah, and then the future. And the future, well. yeah. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed me and you and everyone we know, although I haven't revisited it. Oh, yeah. Um, the future, I just kind of... I, it might have been a festival fatigue one, but I just couldn't get into it. She's actually down in Wellington this coming week for Writers' oh, really? Week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or yeah, maybe yeah. next week. I, well, I mean, who knows when you're hearing this. It might be 18 weeks ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah yeah i just find her her sensibility kind of interesting um there are some things about it which i does that kind of there's just a tweeness to it yeah there's a tweeness to it which is a little bit kind of grating but yeah. at the same time her use of performance art and some of those things like the the bizarre kind of almost like sort of proper dancing Oh, physicality yeah, movement thing, scenes yeah. are actually really interesting. Yeah, um, doesn't, she, doesn't she do one like where she's trapped inside a yeah, shirt or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff I find quite, um, quite a, just a unique and really interesting watch. Um, one is that liberating kind of um, use of film as a receptacle for things I find interesting, yeah. rather than a plot delivery mechanism. Yeah, yeah. and that's something that I, I do have a lot of respect for, even if yeah. I don't always find what she finds interesting interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and last one was um, uh, another New Zealand filmmaker, uh, Christine Jeffs, who um, did a film um, based off a New Zealand book about some tragedy and childhood in the seventies called um, Rain. Um, yeah, which you weren't a fan of, but um, Melissa and I both really loved. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably a bigger fan of Nikki Caro in terms oh, yeah. of, and I've only seen Whale Rider, yeah. but I'd, I'd certainly put that above Rain. But to be fair, I've only seen, uh, I only saw it once in the theater. Oh, yeah. And I do, um, I guess at the time it reminded me of a pale imitation of things like The Ice Storm or things like oh, yeah. that. Um, I, 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 there's and, possibly and, something, like there was something very, um, very New Zealand childhood yeah. Of a certain brand, like um, Melissa recognised that kind of um, probably Pakeha family going away to a beach sort of batch in the seventies, and that whole sort of thing. The kids just run free. Yeah. Parents have these parties of things. But I, I had a similar kind of experience watching Boy, right? Um, Taika Waititi's Boy, because the whole kind of being shipped off with relatives and then maybe with their grandparents, but then they have to go away to a tangy, and so the oldest kid is looking after the rest of you, sure, and then yeah. you're sitting in cars when your parents are out of the thing and just chilling and talking, and then 
parties in the garage sitting on beer crates. Right. Yeah. Th- this was like a common feature of my childhood. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting because, I mean, I, I was living in Portland when I saw rain, so I had not moved to New Zealand yet. And so I don't really know how much of not having that cultural yeah. resonance affected it. So I, I guess I'd, I'd be willing to give it another go. I had a strong antipathy yeah. to it at the time, but that was... Um, you know, 15 years yeah. ago or something like that. Um, and then know. she subsequently did Sunshine Cleaning, which is a yeah. really interesting little little piece um, about a couple of ladies who are finding it, are struggling financially to get work and they've, they've been doing cleaning jobs and then they somehow get tipped off into forensic cleaning. Right. So they create a company they call Sunshine Cleaning where they kind of muscle well not really muscle in but kind of slide in sideways to the forensic cleaning thing which is a pretty small closed mm. thing but they realise there's a lot of money in it it's basically just cleaning but cleaning murder really scenes and stuff like that um, but yeah and it's about particularly a, a, a particular lady a couple lady basically just trying to make a goal of things in a bad um, economy and when they're struggling um, with the skill set they have and yeah this was kind of cool did you see Sylvia which is her other film no I didn't the Sylvia Plath yeah with Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. No, yeah. yeah I haven't seen it either so I don't have any yeah. opinion I was just curious um, yeah I mean one of their um filmmaker I mentioned that I actually the only film I've seen by her is Ian Flux but um, oh, Karen, Karen Kasuma who uh, did Girl Fight and then did Ian Flux and I think Ian did Flux some other with, things um, with Charlie Theron yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. um, um, but now she's got um, The Invitation coming oh. which uh, was uh, an incredibly strange film last year which I missed oh. and I'm kicking myself for because everybody's raving about it and it opens in the States in a month or two. Oh so, yes I saw uh, um, did um, Draft House have yeah Draft, yeah Draft House is releasing it yeah. and so that should be a um, kick in the pants did that play at festival it did play at festival yeah it was at quite difficult times as I recall but you mm. know it's that it's what happens when you care about art films mm. and you care about that and also last year yeah. was a write off for me because I didn't I never got home before <laughs> Oh, interesting. Huh, yeah, because I've seen Ian Flex as well, which was not bad. I mean, it was an ambitious project to try and pull off as a live-action film. Yeah, it was a strange film, and it didn't always work, but it had moments yeah. of interest. But did, but did you watch Ian Flex? I did. The cartoon? Uh, uh, I'd seen bits of it. I never quite understood it. She died in every one of them. Nigel and was a big fan. I used to watch yeah. with him because it was on a thing called Liquid TV over here. Yeah, we had Liquid TV yeah. as well. It was on MTV, and yeah. they'd show it on late at night, and, and it'd just be like, okay, well, but I... Went to watch videos and now there's some weird girl walking around with lasers <laughs> shooting people for a couple minutes and then she dies. Yeah, and then and she's laughing at the next thing yeah, with yeah. no explanation. Oh, that was yeah, that's I, in <laughs> retrospect, I guess that's where Kenny came from. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, oh, one last one and then I, I will shut um I'm really looking forward to, even though I didn't like her last film, um, Attenberg uh, by 
Athena Rachel Sangari was oh, a film yeah. that I was really looking forward to because she assisted on Dog Two. Yeah, this, this great sort of thing, and there were moments of interest in yeah for me, but it didn't quite fire. Yeah, same. But, um, her new film, uh, Cheval- Chevalier or Chevalier, uh, I think I'm, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's about um, six guys who are on a boat together. So it's entirely yeah. devoid of women this time, oh. um, and they have various games of. Um, Chance and skill that they play to assert their masculinity over each other, and it seems like very wryly observational. It's been really highly lauded, and it's oh, another wow. one that I'm really yeah yeah. Uh, I've got my fingers crossed for. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Amberg again. Same with me. It didn't quite work as I'd hoped it might after coming off the back of Dogtooth. Yeah. But um, it didn't help that the print broke halfway through, and I had to go across yeah. town to see uh, Tree of Life twenty minutes oh, after. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so it was. A, it was oh, a we were in the same screening. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. this the one where it sort of went out for about twenty minutes, and yeah, um, yeah. and sort of three quarters of the audience left. Yeah, 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 and and, and then I was like, this hasn't finished. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah I, it was. But I had interesting bits again. I had that real kind of physicality. Those weird dance scenes and stuff like that were kind of yeah, exactly. Nice. The, way, the way her back moves is now like the way Miranda Miranda July moves her yeah. thing, and it's interesting because you know, um, and maybe that's something that is more often female or not because you can see that interest in Claire Denis and mm. Alex Duncan and lots yeah. of other people as well yeah. it's that kind of um, studying bodies in motion yeah. and communicating through that in a way that's yeah. perhaps less common in um male cinema yeah. and uh, you know I, I won't hypothesize as to why that is because that would only be yeah. embarrassing to all of yeah. us yeah. Um, but yeah no that sounds like quite an interesting little piece to catch well he's hoping it turns up for festival yeah all right. Um, before we go let's just say a quick goodbye to Andrei Solovsky yeah. um, now I know that um, both you and I are relatively ignorant of his larger body of work and have only got to enjoy one film um, but that film is supposed to be not one of his greatest but just um, the great one of the greatest films period yeah. which is uh, Possession, Possession. Uh, with Sam Neill and Isabella Jani. If you haven't seen it um, if you can track it down um, there's a great Mondo release Blu-ray release um, which is fantastic um, it's so good and then there's uh, a making of that's on the Blu-ray that I subsequently found on Vimeo that the mm. director of the making of put up there, um, which is really interesting as well. And it's um, got some kind of twin, maybe 15, 20, 20 years down the track interviews with um, Zulowski, um and uh, the American co-writer, um, yeah. film critic, and a few others that were involved. That's just you know pretty fascinating. What I found really interesting is you know I am. Um, I didn't know how I'd go with it because I knew there was a lot of screaming in it and there is in fact a lot of screaming mm. in it and we've discussed how I feel about that but there's a um, a there's just such a level of commitment to the performances mm. and to the idea of the film which has a very surreal conceit yeah. at the center which we won't spoil but also um, there's such an analytical brain in how it's shot. Yeah. You know, it's like, you see so many films where it's like, oh, they're shouting at each other, so we'll run around with a handheld camera yeah, and shake it in your face, and we'll make it urgent. It's like, no. you know, you have, I mean, the most extraordinary... 
I would say the most extraordinary scene in the film, which is the scene in the subway in the when subway, she's yeah. alone carrying her groceries, yeah. um, is all handled in a wide shot. Yeah. And um, you don't need to be any closer. You don't no, want to no. be any closer. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just one of the um, most... Yeah. Yeah, stunning film freakouts of all time. It's it's a bizarre fusion of genres. Yeah. And 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 sort of hearing him speak about it, which is not something you can necessarily, as a outsider, read necessarily off the surface, but um, that he's basically looking at systemic evil through genre. Yeah. Um. It's just fantastically done, and there's this yeah. beautiful formal rigor to the to this kind of out there genre work. Like there's a sparseness to the um, yeah. To it's the interesting sets to call it the... genre work as well because I feel like there's a lot of horror directors who try to sneak art into their horror. Yeah, know, going all the way back from Mario Bava yeah. and you know and Dario Argento and people like yeah. that. And this is the other way around where it feels like trying to sneak horror into the art house. Yeah. And there's still something that I think fundamentally in the way it operates and breathes. Yeah. It is an art house film. Yeah. But it's so I mean it, it's literally quite apocalyptic yeah uh, and um, and it's a monster film and it's a film with horrible things happening and and it's one of the most disintegration stand up two of the most stand up films Sam it was one of Sam Neill's best films and I love Sam Neill's work yeah yeah I mean Neil's just stunning in it and um, and I'm not sure how much Isabella Tani I've seen I've, I think I've seen her at least one other thing but my goodness yeah I mean what she does in that film um, <laughs> I always believe it's um, yeah and so that's I mean and the thing is um, I mean I feel certainly um, very neglectful because you know um, Zulowski has a pretty sizable uh, filmography and I've, I've actually sampled a bit of On the Silver Globe which is a film that he was working on that then um, had to shut down because he ran out of funds mm. and so now it's replaced by like footage of walking around the subway with him narrating what would have happened in the next oh, scene oh no <laughs> and it kind of I, I kind of I, I mean I was in a situation where I was very easily distracted I was at work and mm. stuff so I didn't um, I, I'm, I'm willing to give it another go but it, I think even the most ardent um, Zulowski fan would say that particular film wasn't the realization of everything that he had hoped well, just hearing you talk about it is reminiscent of, um, of a, that sequence and this is not a film um, oh yeah, true. Where um, he's talking about um, the film that he wanted to make, and he's trying to explain it, and he's mapping out um, the space that he would shoot right, on the yeah. floor, and then he kind of suddenly reaches. I can't do it. You can't. I can't explain this to you. The visuals. Yeah. Communicate something that this explanation and walking around is not going to do. And yeah, and I think that's um, that's that was his sort of hail mary. Yeah on that film um, the two uh, Ajani films that I'd seen were The Driver and um, Herzog's remake of Nosferatu oh yes that's right which are both extraordinary um, films as mm. well um, she's famous for Queen Margot which I haven't seen um, and has a really long 
CV of things that I've just never got around to. So, mm. well, a lot um, of them be French um, films, like I said. We may not. Yeah, who watches those French films? Oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's yeah, Agnes Varda. We I can't believe we got through that whole thing and never oh, mentioned Agnes. Varda, I think you did. Who's, you did mention Varda. Oh, did I mention? I did mention her in passing. Okay, yeah. So, fair enough. But I mean, she does deserve to be at least as honored as um Chris Marker because you yeah, know, her. Um, you know, I've seen a couple of her dramas like Cleo from Five to Seven and Vagabond, but uh, it's um, her essay films like The Gleaners and I and Cinevara uh, Photo that um, really give a sense of her sort of irascible curiosity and imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just a. Um, she was, you know, despite being quite old, I mean, you know, she shot. Cleo from five to seven in the sixties or seventies or something like that, mm. and um, and then she was wandering around with the DV camera during um, the Gleaners and I, um, mm. and the Gleaners are people who kind of uh, reclaim things from the rubbish or whatever yeah. and things like that, and and she was just running her DV camera the whole time and taking advantage of this new format to swing her, you know. I think there's gl- bits where she glimpses lens cap and makes things of that. Um, <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it, so I, I at least ten years. But, um, but yeah, she has that kind of um, sense of wonder about the universe that's uh, pretty mm. special. So cool. So definitely mm. try as as did in a very different ways. Zulowski, whose last film we may get to see this year, a film called Cosmos, which oh, after wow. a twenty year break from filmmaking, he managed to get done. Oh and, wow! Um, yeah, I think it's about that time where we should. Yeah. Uh, Round off. It's the round off. So, so um, cheers. Until next time, it's uh, this is Doug. This is Jacob. And this was Best Worst Podcast. Cheers.